0: The,
1: volume. the Sessions is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. They're America's number one sportsbook for a reason, y'all. It's so easy to use. It's safe and secure. That's one of the main things for me. I don't want any BS. I love that there's no BS with FanDuel. Plus, you get your winnings fast. Now winnings are delivered in as quick as two hours. Plus, it's super fun to combine multiple bets from the same game into a same game parlay. It's awesome. So if you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with the promo code Renee. that's R-E-N-E-E, so that they know that I sent you. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, Wyoming, or West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1 888 789 7777, or visit slash chat for Connecticut, 1 800 gambler, or visit slash rg for Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Virginia, 1 770 stop for Louisiana, 1 800 270 for confidential help in Michigan, 1 877 8 hope ny, or text hope ny for New York, Tennessee redline, 1 800 889 9789 and 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming. Visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Hey guys, welcome to the best of the sessions. What we have done is we've combined the best of Tuesday's episode and Thursday's episode, mashed them together to give you a beautiful little audio gift for your ear holes. We have some awesome, awesome guests on the show. Cannot thank people enough for taking the time to uh, to come hang out with me. Give me a little bit of their time. We give you a little bit of that. We all get to hang out and enjoy it, learn a little bit about each other. Um, so it's really cool to mash these all together and you guys can get those little abbreviations highlights of both of the interviews throughout the week. Also, of course, if you want to listen to the full lengths, you can do that. They all exist. Uh, just make sure to check out all things from the Volume Podcast Network. Like, subscribe, turn on those notifications, all that good stuff. But let's get into it. Here's the best of the sessions. Um, let's talk a little uh, Chuck and Billy. When this idea came around and you guys started to, was it you guys that pitched this? Was the idea pitched to you? What is sort of the origin story of that?
0: So the ideal pitch was at that time, we had all the, the Trishes and the, the Stacey's and all the all the super hot girls that just had everything. They had makeup people. They had, you know, they really didn't wrestle. They wrestled to rip their clothes off kind of thing. And it was it was, hey, we have this idea that you guys are like divas, like we'll give you the hairdressers, the blow dryers and all that. It started like that. Then it went, how about, but it was, but at that, like I tell it, like everybody goes, well, what was that about? And I go, it was awesome. You know, it was awesome. Because at that point in my career, if you're not like, I love challenging myself to do different things. Right. And at that point in my career, I was looking for a challenge. I was not that I was maybe not that I was looking for a challenge, but I wanted something to challenge me and to try to pull that off and make the WWE universe think that I was gay is is good. Like, that's really good. So, me and, so when they came and said, OK, now we want you to do this. Me and literally me and Chuck had Like I was saying before, we had a conversation. Hey, if we do this, we have to go all in. Like we have to go like it's not going to be anything disgusting or raunchy. So we don't have to worry about that. But I'm sure that we're going to do some crazy things just to plant it in people's minds. And we did. But we had to be on the same page and we both had to be invested and we both had to do it 100 percent, whether we fall flat on our faces or not. And luckily, At first, the people were a little off kilter of what was going on, especially when I, you know, did the thing in the ring and asked him to be my life partner. Everybody just went, oh, my God, what has wrestling come to? This is ridiculous. But the funny thing is, about two to three months in, I think people realize, holy cow, this is pretty good. And they're having a lot of fun. It's we did the swimsuit thing with the girls where we did the pose. Oh my God, it was so like, I will not lie. It was so uncomfortable. That was one of the things that we went. Hey, this is this is a sink or swim moment because we had to practice that. They made us do a little rehearsal.
1: Everyone around the ring. Like,
0: <laughs> every and I mean, it wasn't just a few. They all came because they all like it was like that was the most nerve wracking thing. It wasn't so much doing the poses and how we were doing it. It was all the boys. Like I think that place was full of. There wasn't one person in the back. They all just wanted to walk. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: catering cleared out.
0: Yes. But luckily for us, it, it worked and we had fun and nobody took it that serious. This business is made to be fun. Like it really is. Come on. Like really you get, to get paid to travel around the world and do something that you love. Like how stressful can that be? Yeah. Some of the backstage and all that stuff and trying to jockey for position is too much. And I've never been into that. I've always just said, Hey, my work either speaks for me, and I do it that way. I'm not gonna go in there and start doing all this politicking and jockeying stuff. It's too much work for me.
1: Like, I, <laughs> yeah. like
0: I'm having fun. I get a paycheck every week. I get to travel around the world. I get to act like a complete goof. Like, <laughs> like, like, who else is good? Where, where am I gonna find that job? Well, I'm not gonna find that job. So we were having fun. We were playing characters that were so outside of us but people bought in because it was like holy cow they're doing a really good job of this <laughs> like so let's get into this you know so it was it was a lot of fun it really was and it was very challenging and and luckily you know Chuck was on boards and we pulled it off and it was something that was really good I mean we were on I'll tell you a funny story is Chuck had called me and goes oh my god you're not going to believe this and I went what he goes we're in Time Magazine. I said, what do you mean? He goes, I opened Time Magazine. You know, that's the president's magazine, right? <laughs> I, went, I didn't even know the president had a magazine. Yeah. Time Magazine this is the president's magazine and we're in it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> Because like in the back, in the back, like about three quarters of the way through, there was a picture of me and Chuck in there and it he goes, Hey, WWE goes outside bound or something like that. And he thought it was the greatest thing. And I read it and I said, yeah, this is awesome. This is a president's magazine. That we're in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it went from us doing one thing one night to being on Good Morning America, the Howard Stern show. We did every news outlet. there was. So people were like wanting to know and they wanted to know what it was. And we just, you know, we did a good job of, of pulling it off. And it was fun. It really was.
1: It was definitely fun. I mean, you've obviously had so much success uh, in your tags career. Um, What do you think made DX so great? And could another faction ever come close to what you guys did with DX?
0: I say no. Only because, and if people don't know, the DX documentary is out, which was done really well, I thought. And it was a lot of fun to do. But I don't think you can have another DX by no means. Only because like what I've been talking about. Everybody knew their spot. Everybody knew their positioning. So it wasn't like, we never looked at Hunter as our leader and end all be all. It wasn't that. You just need somebody at the top and then you have all the cool stuff filling in. Yeah. But he was still at the same level we were. We didn't think of, you know, he was, you know, Tony Khan and we were, you know, the guys that brought catering in at no means did, we ever, and I'm just giving that as a dynamic. I don't mean it like that. Everybody knew their spot. Everybody knew their positioning. Everybody fed off of each other and did what they were good at. And that's what made us so good that and some really cool stuff that we did just being outlandish and ridiculous. So I I don't think that you can have that because like nowadays, everybody's like wants to be that guy or a girl or whatever. And they don't like me and Brian, X Pac, China, we all knew our spots and we never wanted that spot because Hunter had it and Hunter was good at what he did there. You know, so that's the thing. I think you can't have that many people that aren't trying to move in positioning. And it was at a special time in wrestling. So I don't, I don't really think that you could get that many people that had those different kinds of personalities to gel all at once. That's the biggest thing.
1: Did you guys know at the time when you started doing the chops and the suck it, that it would be a thing that people still say and do to this day? Like even people that don't even know that that might be a wrestling related thing, that that just became this like cultural thing, phenomenon
0: there's not a person on the planet that doesn't know that. Like, Oh, you're the suck it guy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sure am. Or you're you're the, you're the ass guy. You're the Mr. (laughs) Ass guy. Yes. That's me. But it's yeah. You never like, you never know what's going to stick to the wall when you throw it. You never do. You just do it. And then everybody either comes along or they don't, or they don't buy into it. But at the time, when we did it, that was the thing. Hey, you wanted to do this. You wanted to tell everybody to do this. So it's just, and then it just became so ridiculously hot that everybody, like from football players to actors, to tennis players, you know, you hit a tennis shot and you'll see somebody do this. You go, really? That's really
1: (laughs) so crazy.
0: (laughs) Like it is. It's, it's crazy to even think that that's a thing. And you look back and you go, so that's what I'm known for, this and being Mr. Ass.
1: Not bad, I wouldn't say. I mean, I would put that on my resume if I was had that kind of credit. I think it's great. <laughs> yeah. I'm a fan. <laughs> uh, what was it like working with China? What was your relationship like with her?
0: Oh, it's, it's my best friend. She was amazing. She really was in all aspects of life. Great to train with, great to you know just be friends with her she really and it and it even to this day will still gets me a little rocked up because it just it, it she was that special to me like she really was when she first passed i was so mad at her like it's just a, like that's just life that's just what we do like i didn't know how bad her struggle was because i went through the same thing luckily for me i came out on the good side of that it doesn't mean that i don't struggle with it every day it just means that today i have it under control because I would connected back with her like a couple weeks before this all happened. You know, she was worried about, hey, I'm trying to get back in the flow of things. But every time I go to these promotions, you know, guys are just, you know, trying to take advantage. in. And I, I said, I get it. All you have to do is call me. I'll do them with you. I'll do whatever it is. And I'm not trying to make me sound like the savior at all, but I'm just saying she was that good to me. My wife literally said, hey, you need to get her out of L.A., just have her move with us. You guys can travel. And, you know, because my wife is is one of the most special people on the planet. So she is awesome. And she knew our relationship and never had a problem with it. It was more of a brother and sister thing, you know, so it was it's it's horrible when things like that happen. But if you stay in that life, if you stay in that, it's going to get you. It will. I wish there was, I go, hey, if you do this, you might. No, there is no might to any of that. It's all downhill. And it goes downhill until you either die or you go to jail or whatever it is. And it's very cliche, but that's, it's what happens. I'm allowed to say that because I was there and that's what was going to happen. I never in any aspect glorify this, but there is a bright side to this. Ask me and Brian, we were deep, deep in it, But luckily for us, we came out and we did the program and did what we were supposed to do. There wasn't any, hey, if I go this way, maybe it'll work. No, it doesn't.
1: What was the turning point for you that you decided, I need to pull myself out of this? What was that moment?
0: When I woke up on my floor and everything that I had was gone. Like my wife, my kids, my dogs, like like my dogs didn't even want to be in the same house with me. It was... Like my life was done, it was over. It was like, I wanna say I reached the bottom, but I was at the bottom to where death was next. And then that's just being real. Like that's, that was coming next and I knew it. And I was tired of living like that, but it was all me. It was no, nobody else. Cause I went to rehab once before because everybody was telling me to. Like, hey, you have a problem. No, I don't. I can do anything I want with this stuff and I have it under control. No, 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 it has you. <laughs> like, But it's hard for you to realize that when you're on this side of it. But when I finally woke up in the floor, I had like some kind of cans around me that had so much alcohol in it because I couldn't find the drugs that I was wanting. And just I was miserable. Everybody was gone. Everything in my life was nobody wanted to be around me. And I just sat there and went, "Okay, this is too much for me. This I have something has to change. And I literally picked up the phone within two hours, somebody the WWE had sent a driver to my house. I was on a plane and gone. Wow. And from that day, from March 11th, 2011, I have it on my, <laughs> on my wrist right here. That was the day that my I started a new life. And I literally followed the program to a T. I mean, to a T.
1: It was like a 12-step program?
0: Yes. I did an 18-month um, release from rehab. It was a new thing they were trying. They asked me if I wanted to try it because they didn't think, that I, they said, well, you can go in a, in a sober living house for a while if you want. And I said, well, I would really like to try to get my life back on track. So we did this 18-month thing where they called me every day. And then if, my, if I got a text that had a certain number, I had to go and have a urine test or whatever. And I said, yeah, I'll, at least that keeps me accountable. And I'm okay with that. And then I did that. And then all of a sudden, my wife started talking to me again. My kids started talking to me. I got jobs here and there. And then all of a sudden, WWE hires me back, which I neck because I went on a rant. I went ballistic. But luckily for me, they understood. They understood where I was coming from, what I was going through and stuff. And nobody ever held it against me. They just go, hey, you're, you're in a mess. But my life today without drugs, I've been drug and alcohol free for 11 years, has been amazing like it really ha- like if you would have told me that before i would have went okay i get it it's a thing you have to do you know go 90 and 90 and do all that stuff as a no but this time i took it serious and i did it and look what i have today
1: what a relief it's actually it's so nice hearing that too i mean especially what like we've gone through like with what john's gone through it is really nice just being on the other side of that as much as Obviously, it can be such a struggle and there's the ups and the downs, but it's like, oh, my God, life is so nice. Not having these horrible things bogging you down.
0: It is. But on the other side of that, it's, it's an everyday thing. Because I got all this back, it can be gone. Like I have to realize it can literally be gone within seconds. All I have to, all I have to do to ruin it is use. That's the, like, that's, the, like, that's the reality. Like it took me 11 years to get where I am. To make, You know, because it's not, oh, you went to rehab, cool, then I forgive you. And you're a, no, you're building, you're starting this to build this house all over again.
1: I think so many people think that they're like, oh, I went to rehab and you come out and everything's just back to normal and it's squeaky clean and off to the races as you go. And it's like, no, my God, it is. Yeah, that. like
0: this is when the work starts. Like this is the work starts because you're literally building this 13 story house brick by brick and they're not big bricks, they're little bricks. But as long as you stay on that path, you'll be okay. And it doesn't mean today, just while I'm sitting here, that it's not a thing that doesn't go through my mind. Yes, have the cravings and all that backed off? Sure they have, but it's not something that I take for granted. I just go, hey, I'm okay, I can do this and I can do that. That's why, like I never had a problem with alcohol. I hate alcohol, but I won't touch it because I know if I go there, I'm going somewhere else. If I let myself go there, Then why don't I just, oh, my back hurts today. Why don't I take this? I'm okay because I've been clean for so long. No, it like the instantaneous, like I've had surgeries and everything and literally have lost my mind because I will not take it. I won't do it. But that's something you have to do. I don't not take this lightly. This is, you don't get to put stuff in me. You don't get, even when I had the surgeon, they put me under, I had to know and research every single thing they put in me. I don't want to go there. I don't want to be that one that's dies. I just, (laughs) and that's what I know next. And I know that for a fact, but today and this moment right here, I am golden.
1: What do you think China would think of women's wrestling today? And knowing at that time, do you think that she was aware of the path that she was carving for all of these women that are finally getting like truly their time in the sun? Yeah, I don't
0: think so. I don't think she knew it at the time, but I think towards the end of her run up there, she kind of knew, hey, I'm doing something special. I'm empowering that know that I don't just have to have a match where somebody rips my clothes off. I think what women's wrestling has become is, I mean, for God's sakes, they're main eventing everything like you would never thought that was a thing. But they're good enough that they can close the show or they can close a pay-per-view or do something like that, which is amazing. It really is, you know. But um, I I don't think she knew the total impact of what she did, but she was definitely the main one to do it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you look at all the women, even just from like, like a looks wise to, to main eventing, like you said, to just like creating this different version of like what we always figured women's wrestling looked like. And she was really the first one, obviously, to just like fully carve that path. We would, I truly believe we would not have so many women even have interest in professional wrestling if it was not for China and what she had done. I agree with that. If you had full creative control, you're in the driver's seat. What would you do differently in your singles career?
0: I don't know. I just didn't like it.
1: I'm just, I don't
0: know. what. Like, I, I, like I, people have always asked me that. Hey, you should have a bigger singles run. Yeah, but I didn't like it. Like, I don't know why. I'm just not a singles guy. I work better with other people. I work better with certain guys. Like, I literally can work with everybody. I don't, because I don't do a lot of stuff. And I just, I literally work off of what everybody else can do. So everybody thinks I'm good. <laughs> that's, how, that's, how I, that's how I faked it for so long is I'm just good at doing other people's stuff. Um, I was lucky to have that run with Rock and that was really it. You know, I did some stuff with Shamrock, which was super fun, but I just, I don't know. I just never was into that singles thing. I just like the dynamic tags. I like all the stuff you can do. Plus I'm a control freak. So I like knowing what four other guys have to do and being able to come to me to get everybody back on track. I found that was my niche. Like being in tags is my thing. Being a singles is fun at times, but it's not my bag.
1: So could you really feel it when you were just sort of like in those moments being like, this is not for me. I'm a little like, I don't know if uncomfortable is the word, but like just knowing that like this isn't where I'm happiest.
0: No, I think uncomfortable is the word because there is an uncomfortable feeling that I have nowhere to go. Like it's all me. I'm okay with that. But like you said, it is uncomfortable. I have that, okay, if something happens, I have to get myself out of it. And it's not meaning that I'm not good enough to do it. It is an uncomfortable feeling that the whole time I'm working, I'm just working for me. So yeah, I think uncomfortable is a good word for that, but it's not an uncomfortable that hinders me from doing what I need to do. I don't know, I just, yeah, every time I'm in them, I just, not, like, there wasn't ever that thing that I go, geez, I could be a great singles guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> that, that, that thought never came across my brain.
1: What was your reaction to when you went over to New Japan and with, when you were working with Tanahashi and got such a great reaction to your match with him?
0: That was my bucket. Like, that was, other than the kids wrestling with them, that was my bucket list. I had always, since I started in this, I kind of had a thing for this Japan thing. Like they work a little bit more like I do. Like I'm a little bit, I work like a man. So we're <laughs> like, like a little bit, you get jerked around a little bit more. Things are a little snugger. And I like that um, because none of it's reckless. Like I ain't into the just throw me and hopefully I land okay kind of thing. When they called me and asked me to come over there, I didn't hesitate, even though I was a little older. And I went, how long is this, a month? And then I'd come home for a week and then go back and do the Tokyo Dome. Ooh, do you guys know who I am? I've been doing this a little while. <laughs> it was Like, that was super fun. And then I got to have that match in Long Beach with with Tanahashi, who is by far mine and Austin's favorite wrestler. Like, it's funny because because Austin is absolutely in love with Tanahashi. He loves him.
1: I think everyone's in love with Tanahashi. John's definitely in love with Tanahashi.
0: Yeah, I don't know what it is. It's just the aura that he has or this thing that he has. He's such a nice guy. And the, the coolest thing is he actually is the one that got that match because he wanted to work me. And I went, wait a second. He wants to work me? And he goes, yes, because, like, when we had that match, all he wanted to do was that sunset flip where I pulled his pants down. That's all <laughs> right? he it's, it's so funny. It's like – Hey, you're Tanahashi, dude. We can do whatever you want. Like, everybody here is here to see you. Like, it's, and he goes, no, pull my pants. Me, I'll run my butt out whole time. I was, like, I was like, oh my God, this is so good. So, the thing with that whole Long Beach show is I thought mine and Tanahashi's match was awesome. But a lot of people, there was a backlash. One, that they didn't think that I deserved to be in that spot. We were semi main event. It's not their traditional show. Kenny and some other, like forget who it was, was on there. And they just literally like the, everything was such a, uh, for lack of a better term spot fest and the way that the Japanese wrestling okay. goes into 30 minute finishes and doing all kinds of stuff. And me, I thought me and Tana Haji just had a good match. We had a good storytelling match and yes, the people kind of started getting to it, but like, that was the biggest thing. It's like, okay, the, the, you guys had a good wrestling match. No, it was really good. And, and if, and if you'll look outside of it being a spot fest, it was fun. It was good. We did what we should have done because you're not going to get all that crazy stuff out of me. Although Kanahashi can do it. You have to know who you're working in. He did, and he was super into what we did. Um, we had a lot of fun and it was like one of the highlights of my life. Like it really was because it was Like, I'd been wanting to do it for so long. Plus, I did that whole month tag tournament thing that was absolutely amazing. And then got to go to the Tokyo Dome, which was, I've never seen that place inside. Holy smokes. It's amazing.
1: It really is. I got to go over with John when he was wrestling there for Wrestle Kingdom, and I was like enamored with it.
0: So yeah, it was it was great for me, and I really appreciate him being able to do that, and I appreciate them for letting me do it.
1: Football fans, check out the Three and Out podcast with John Middlecoff, only on the Volume Podcast Network. John brings his unique perspective as an ex NFL scout to the Volume to break down all the news around the NFL and college football. Whether you're looking for game predictions, coaching searches, the ins and outs of the NFL front office, even. An occasional golf tip. John has you covered. Download three and out with John Middlecoff, only on the Volume Podcast Network. You and I were talking before, but I want to kind of find like some new segments to add on to the sessions, whether it's a part of the podcast, it's something we do on, on you know YouTube or whatever. But that was something I thought about doing where like I often like romanticize the idea of like, oh, let's just like pick an actor and watch. All of their movies. Um, I really want to start with Elvis. And I know, obviously, you're a huge Elvis fan. Um, but getting into, like, a bunch of his movies. I just watched the, the Elvis movie, by the what way. What did you
2: think of it? Because Elvis week just passed. They they have a a whole week celebrating and memorializing the king of rock and roll because he, he died last week so it, it's they they celebrate his life on Sirius XM they do a whole bunch of stuff my brother has a radio show he's been celebrating Elvis and it's what, what, what did you think of the movie?
1: So I love Elvis I thought Austin Butler was amazing he's so just like exudes that like mystery and that handsome charm that was Elvis love 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 that um, but here's the thing I'll say that I I actually didn't love the movie and I know everyone loved it, but I think the reason why I didn't love it, A, it was too long, too, too long. And B, I, if I watched it in the theater, I would have liked it more, but it jumps around so much. And I was watching it at home and I'm like getting up and getting a snack and then I'm looking at something on my phone. I needed to see it in a theater with undivided attention because I'm sure I would have been completely enthralled in it. Um, but I do feel like they did a really great job of covering all of the versions
2: of Elvis. Yeah, it's it's that real phonetic pacing energy that um, kind of threw me off a bit, too.
1: Yeah, I wasn't expecting it to be that fast paced and jump around as much as it did. I thought it was going to be a little bit more of like that linear story.
2: Right. And I, I thought that, too. But that's that is Baz. Uh, what is his name? Lusherman. I think that's his name. He's the, he's the Australian filmmaker that that directed elvis but he's been doing that type of editing for a very long time there was things that i wish that they would cover more yeah they talked about his mother gladys they really didn't get up to how the perpetual fuck up his father really really was um they didn't give us more of the priscilla stuff
1: yeah i would have liked some more priscilla
2: they could have i think they could have gave us the spiral that he went down once she left And all these other women that he was with that would just allow him just to do all the drugs. And, you know, the Memphis Mafia were just a bunch of yes men, you know, all of all of that stuff. Yeah, I think they covered a lot of to me. I think it was very Tom Parker centric where they were they were telling the story through the eyes of Colonel Tom Parker, who is probably the greatest snake oil salesman in the history of snake oil salesmen.
1: Tom Hanks, man, just he's he's great obviously what what a dumb statement obviously tom hanks is fucking great duh but like i'll just repeat it here
2: but to me i i don't think it gets it gets none better and i like the fact that they would show and they did it real quick too because they are real pivotal for himself his movie roles so it was just real quick this and then this and then this one to this and then at the end right before the 68 comeback special he just filmed, I guess, harem scarum. So he's sitting in the trailers and they're playing blue Christmas and they were going to do a Christmas special. And that's when he comes out with, if I can dream and, and whatever. So like the whole thing was, he didn't want to do a Christmas special, but Tom Parker was forcing him to do a Christmas special or that's what they want you to believe in the movie.
1: I wish someone would force me to do a Christmas special. Shit. I know
2: you do. You're the, you're the queen of Christmas. So, um, they. Then he. He has this secret meeting with these two guys, and you get what you see with the sixty-eight comeback special, which I think you should watch because I think you would absolutely love it. It is pure Elvis 60s he reinvented himself he comes out in the black leather outfit he starts doing um it's the same music but just a little bit different it's a little bit more like you know modern a little bit and it's just off to the races after that he becomes he he revitalizes his career just just by doing that I think we should definitely uh do an Elvis movie night like I would love to do that
1: I think it would be fun yeah just to like I don't know, even just like doing like a little like side little book club thing and like watching a bunch of movies and then like kind of rehashing a bunch of them. I, I just think that would be kind of fun. Whether it's doing new stuff or going through old stuff. I'm, I don't know. I, I, I love watching movies. So we might as well talk about it. Right.
2: Speaking of, um, the director of the Elvis movie, I watched another one of his movies a couple of days ago and I, I fucking hated
1: it. What was it?
2: It was Romeo and Juliet starring Claire Danes and Leonardo DiCaprio.
1: You don't like that movie?
2: No. Hated it. Hated it. Was that
1: your first time having seen it? Yeah. Oh my God. Can I tell you how much that movie imprinted on my soul as a teenager? That movie also has one of the absolute best soundtracks ever of all time. I will always say, on record, Talk Show Host by Radiohead is one of my favorite songs of all time, and it transports me to being like 12 or 13 when that movie came out, and they're like between the fish tanks staring at each other. Claire Danes is this like beautiful, ethereal, literal angel, and oh my God, Leonardo DiCaprio, the things I would have done to breathe (laughs) his air as a child, let me tell you. Oh my goodness! I once dated a guy because he kind of looked like him. That was a mistake.
2: All right, they, they they say don't don't date the people that you lust over in real life, and there you go. You got to take <laughs> you got a taste of it.
1: You learn these things as you go, you know. Um, nice guy, very nice guy. Um, but no, like, so what did you not like about that movie?
2: There's one scene that I absolutely love. Okay, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. No, I'll tell you what I love. It's the scene right before they go into the masquerade ball and Harold Pettigrew, who plays Marcuccio, pulls up and he's fully decked out in drag right with the wig and like the corset and like and Harry Pederu is an absolute fantastic actor right he's amazing so now so they're doing the old English forsooth young maiden and I with thee and I I just I don't like the way like the delivery was but you could tell what they're doing right so they're talking about love and love is this and you gotta live your life and then he pulls out the ecstasy and he puts it on his finger I love the whole thing and then you see they're singing young hearts run free
1: (laughs) Yeah. That scene,
2: that whole scene is great. Like as like the the, the pistols hanging off the, the arm, you know, and then they're at the party and then you have Paul Servino and then like the whole setup with that. Like this is like this whole musical scene. That's the only scene that I like in the whole thing.
1: I need you to know that I have, I feel joy right now even talking about this movie. Like I want to go watch it now. There's so many great scenes the music, like, that is true. I know I've talked about the soundtrack a second ago, but, like, aside from just, like, talk show hosts, like, there's so many great songs, great moments, great performances. Oh, my God.
2: I just did not like the the English part of it, like that ye old English.
1: If they did not do that, though, it would have been, like, sacrilege to the Shakespeare. That was such... An intro to Shakespeare for me because I, when that movie came out, I went and read Shakespeare, I went and read Romeo and Juliet. And then I just kind of, I actually have like a Shakespeare for Dummies book downstairs that like breaks down all of uh, Shakespeare books. But, uh, no, I, I love that movie, especially like the time that it came out. And I feel like that's like a really sweet age too. And you're like, you're like 10 to like 15 is like that very pivotal like who am I? What are my likes and my dislikes? What are my interests? And that movie was one of my interests.
2: I will say what is kind of nifty was that scene where she comes out of the elevator. He finds her and he's a, and he's like enamored with her. At first like he's about to climb the trestle and he whispers it real quick but soft. What light through yonder window breaks? It is the east and Juliet is the sun arise fair sun and kill the envious moon
1: i like that you can just quote that that's a good skill to have (laughs) that is a good you know what dudes are weird like that i feel like guys brains retain information like that john can quote stuff like he'll say something i'm like i have not a clue what you're talking about and like he is direct quoting something that he saw once like he'll he'll quote like random episodes of And i'm like what the fuck are you talking about
2: but, I, but do I understand and can intellectualize the text? No, I, I, I don't. But I understand what William Shakespeare was writing for because he was writing for people with the theater in and around. So they were a bunch of like rowdy drunks and just like like people that were, were just they, – they wanted like quick – I guess our version of whatever like the quick entertainment would be, I guess that's what these what these plays were. So to me it was just never it was just never one of those one of those things and the reason why I would jump to Romeo and Juliet is because I I fell into this comic book TV series called The Sandman and there is a there's a brief scene. It's on Netflix. It's fantastic. um where the the character of Morpheus the Sandman meets William Shakespeare and then I remember because I read the comic book Where he he writes a Midsummer Night's Dream for the Sandman because it deals with like, you know, this like mystical world known as Avalon. And then I'm flipping through the channels I see on HBO on demand that Romeo and Juliet was on. And I was like, okay, this is a sign. I'm gonna sit and watch it. Outside of the initial amazing shootout in the beginning of the film, I'm just like What a
1: great scene that is. Holy moly. Yeah, it's it's great. And
2: I didn't know that a young A young, even younger, handsome Paul Rudd was in this movie.
1: Yes, that was like a big, when you think of like Paul Rudd doing that movie and Clueless like pretty close together, like those were really great breakout roles for him.
2: Like, I'm like, how old is this brother?
1: I know. That dude is aging while I bet you he gets some great facials done. You think he dermaplanes? No, I think he's probably like a real salt of the earth kind of guy.
2: Can men even Durban play? Or is that called shaving? I
1: don't know. I don't, I was actually wondering that because I don't think so.
2: I th- at this point I just think it's shaving. Yeah, I wouldn't. It wouldn't. It would do nothing on my face.
1: I think it's just shaving as well. Um, there was something else I was just going to tack onto this. Oh, I know what I was going to say. Have you watched um, uh, the Manti Teo? Tao? I always think I'm saying his last name wrong. Manti Manti Teo's uh, documentary.
2: No, I've been watching the Captain, the seven part documentary on Derek Jeter.
1: Is that, is that great?
2: Yeah, I, I'm a big Jeter. I mean, grew up in New York. How can you not love Derek G? He, He's the coolest son of a bitch in the world. Everybody wanted to be Derek Jeter. So what is about the man Teo, Doc? So it's
1: him essentially being catfished by this other Samoan dude, Um, that now is transitioned into being a woman. Um, but it's this whole thing of like, uh, you know, number one draft pick, uh, going to college, he ends up going to Notre Dame, the whole world's watching him. He's bringing like this whole new life back to Notre Dame, a school that has been like losing, losing, losing all those things. To them bringing on Manti Teo and he, uh, he's ripping it up, has such an incredible season, but he has this like side girlfriend that he's talking to the whole time. Um, Lene, uh, I can't remember what the last name is, but Lene. So he's like talking to her. They don't ever meet. She says, Hey, or her, her brother calls him, says that she's been in like a car accident and she now has leukemia. Then she ends up dying. And it's like she dies hours apart from like when his grandmother died, who like obviously like legitimately died. Uh, But it's like this whole twisted thing of him being catfished. But then they get into like the, the other conspiracy theory that he was like behind the whole thing. And he was like part of this whole mix up, which I don't believe to be true. I think he was just a very naive Kid. He was a kid. He was 21. Right? 21? Like, it was a baby anyways. And he's got, like, the world looking at him. He is, like, laser focused on football. He thinks he meets this other Samoan woman that has, like, the same interests, same backgrounds as him, all that stuff. So he's like, oh, I found this great chick. She's a babe. She's got all these things going on. Eventually I'll meet her, but I'm busy right now, so I'll just keep talking to her in the meantime. Um, I think he just got, like, wrapped up in all of that. And then got blindsided. And then like Dev obviously devastated when he thinks his girlfriend has just died. It is it is a trip. Like it is quite the roller coaster. I highly recommend going to watch it. It's fascinating.
2: I got to peep this now. Yeah. I gotta, I yeah gotta, it's only,
1: it's only it's just a two-parter. So it's like an easy, I think each episode's like an hour, hour and a half, something like that. Um, but yeah, really a fascinating deep dive. But it's odd to me. I, like, so I guess someone from Deadspin, had gone on this whole thing of like trying to figure out who Lene was. Um, and then they get into this whole like other sub story of it, of thinking that he was a part of orchestrating this whole thing as well. It's very bizarre, but no, I think he was just like a poor dum-dum that got like...
2: Why would they think that he was part of the whole thing? What would like, there has to be a reason. You can't just say like, oh, he he did this because he wanted to get more famous.
1: There was a couple different like interactions between him and the guy that he was talking to posing as being his girlfriend think they like kind of thought that they actually knew each other beforehand and like pulled up like some tweets between them or something. I don't know. My memory's not very good, but
2: this is why man I try to stay away from internet dating.
1: Well, we're smarter now. And that's the thing that sucks too is like then at this time, this was 2013. We, we were privy, but not to the degree that we are privy now. He said, he was like, I think I was like the first term of somebody ever even actually using the word catfishing. He goes, I'd never heard it before. I didn't know what it was. Um, so, yeah, he thinks his girlfriend dies and he's like on the phone, like staying in touch with her family. He thinks she, he's talking to her brother or her cousin or something. And then she goes, It's Manti. It's me. Listen on my voice. And he's like, What the fuck? Like, Totally thrown for a loop that he's like mourning the loss of his girlfriend. She's like, psych, I'm here and I was never your girlfriend.
2: This is this is gnarly. I got to watch this now. Definitely watch it. You know what I've been watching? Uh, I'll, I'll just I'll tell you the plot real quick. This guy comes out on national TV.
1: There's right? a Jeter thing.
2: No, no, I'll just I'm going to fill you in. I'll tell you I'll tell you the title in a minute. Right? This guy comes out on cable network television.
1: Comes out of like the closet?
2: No, just comes out. Just comes out on TV here. Okay, during this live television show.
1: Okay, I'm gonna shut up and let you talk. How about that?
2: <laughs> and he starts shooting <laughs> on Hangman Adam Page <laughs> for no reason. <laughs> or was there a reason?
1: Oh my god! Here's wait. Here's the
2: kicker. Then he starts shooting on this other guy named Eddie Kingston. Poor Eddie, and all hell on the internet starts to break loose.
1: That was a pretty fun two hours of like keeping up on what's going on in the world of wrestling. I've got my finger on the pulse. Wow,
2: right? Without without peeling back too much of the curtain because we know who's involved with this thing.
1: Sure, yeah. I, what? A, just in general, I've I'm really. I am my head's on a swivel right now between like what's going on in WWE what's going on in AEW um it's funny too like I feel like really since we started doing this podcast and it obviously dates back prior to us doing this podcast but in terms of like my conversations with this and being like wow what a great time in professional wrestling has just kicked up like 10 notches
2: it's It's been very, very good. It's been very entertaining.
1: I'll say this, too. I, I feel, um, in terms of the WWE stuff, my, like, takeaway from all of that is, like, how happy I am for how many awesomely talented people that maybe didn't get to be quite as talented as they could be due to restrictions and limitations and whatnot. And now we're going to get really great glimpses into like how awesome some people can really be, whether it's Michael Cole doing his shit on commentary and being just as good as he actually is to Killer Cross and Scarlett Bordeaux being brought back into WWE to to Bailey working with uh with IO Sky and and working with um Dakota Kai uh it's it's just it is such a if Ronda Rousey being booked properly,
2: Shayna Baszler being booked properly, oh my god, what a relief. If you look back and you could think about the product w- within just literally a 3 week time span. It's a completely different show to a degree
1: you can feel this new life being breathed into it it's a life being breathed into it and its handcuffs have been removed
2: i think certain handcuffs yeah but like like you said michael cole i don't think he's ever sounded better
1: i've said this a million times and i'm just going to reiterate it of how good he is and how people have literally crapped on him for years and years and years we hate michael cole Da, da, da shut up shut up shut up to be like you guys don't even know how good he is And what a regular like Raw looks like for him, what SmackDown looks like for him, whether he's taking notes from the truck, whether Vince is talking to him in his ear, like that dude is in a pressure cooker every single show and he takes the brunt of it. But now to see him like actually just show his talent and get to like show his love of professional wrestling and the fact that he has been in this business for 25 plus years and the depth of knowledge that he has in professional wrestling, I think it's awesome. Like it just, it makes me really happy to see him get to breathe And, like, do his thing, but also to see people being like, oh, shit, Cole's awesome. It's like, yeah, he is.
2: And like you said before, too, that there's an opportunity now for talent that got released that never really got the, the chance to show what they can do.
1: Even people that didn't get released, like people that are there that didn't even, that have been, like, kind of struggling, I'm sure, to a degree.
2: There's a lot there now. And I've always said it. WWE has one of the greatest rosters Yes. I thought they were cooking around 2016, right? I thought that roster was cooking. And now, man, this roster is just on fire. And that's the important thing to me is watching and telling interesting and compelling story. That's what I want. I think both shows are doing that now. You would still like how you have seen Daniel Garcia come into his own with Brian Danielson.
1: Oh, my God. You're seeing
2: some you're seeing some really good stuff. And now how it's probably looks like it's shaping up to be Garcia And Jericho, which is going to be another crazy one because I like Daniel Garcia. Can
1: we also slap a little extra respect on Chris Jericho's name as well? Uh, Because he is one of those guys that like he's down to put in the work. You know, like he reinvents himself at every corner. He, for him to show up and have the match that that him and John had, uh, what, two Wednesdays ago, um, to see him show up as Lionheart Chris Jericho straight out of the dungeon ECW. Like, it was just, it's so cool to see how great he is, how great he can move. And as much as like, when you have someone for so long and you know how, you know, people love Jericho, obviously, but um, I think actually just like taking a second to be like, dude, like for his age to be doing the stuff he's doing and the fact that he always wants to like learn and stay with what's trending, what's going on in the sport, what's going on in entertainment, um, and just like continues to, to evolve and crush it. Um, I, I feel like anyone can look at that and learn something from, from Jericho.
2: You know, I think you have to give—you definitely got to give Dude his flowers. And, and I've said this, and I'll probably catch wreck for this, but I, I feel that Jericho has been such a vital cog in the growth and development movement of AEW, that you got to see what he's doing. Like, he he has been one of those guys that has been working with younger talent, helping oh, them yeah. develop, and then going off to do what they do. Look at the match he had with Orange Cassidy doing the Mimosa match, like... And people was, would tell me, oh, but sometimes, you know, the top guy always beats the younger guy. Like, people had, had like, this annoyance, this annoyance that, like, uh, like, like the top guys, like, go over on the younger guys. And I'm like, you know, professional wrestling does this amazing thing where... The top guy can go over, but guess what? The person that lost just got made.
1: Still got that rub. Yes.
2: Right, like like Garcia got the rub against Brian Danielson, arguably the best professional wrestler out right now.
1: And also, like, getting that win right off the bat is not as important as that story to losing, losing, losing. We get to see how awesome they are. Then they get that big win. And then we're all like, oh, now we want that win. Now it's that, like, deserved earned spot. And now that star is truly made.
2: But what Chris has done with the Jericho Appreciation Society and what he did with the inner circle where you had guys like Santana and Ortiz and Sammy Guevara. they you know these guys came into their own specifically Sammy really came into his own you know right and then right after that it goes on and he has three really interesting and real unique TNT title runs yes they played hot potato with the belt with Scorpio Sky a couple of times but they still told interesting story the same thing goes for Jericho and MJF punk and MJF those guys from 2.0 you know, now that like ha- like they really are like consummate performers, and they're very, very funny. So, you know, but you don't get that opportunity to shine if you're not paired with a guy like Chris Jericho who sees it and wants to help you. You
1: get that TV time.
2: And that's the most important thing. So so wrestling across the board. And I know we made a joke at the beginning where it was like CM Punk shooting off the hip, brother, but it really makes it really interesting. And even John and Punk leading into Dynamite on Wednesday and then maybe the pay-per-view uh, in a couple of weeks or maybe in a week or two it's really interesting to see like that pull apart was great you know he said some stuff that made the crowd go whoa wait a I minute!" i was sweating
1: at home i was at home sweating
2: this huge other discourse started once Punk said what he said about John being the third best guy in The Shield or whatever it was, started this whole thing on social media where people are arguing the validity of which Shield member is having the best solo run. And and, and that's what you should do because each one of them, to me, are killing it in their own unique way. And they all have these, as we like to call them, like beehives, like the Beyonce Hive. like They all have these, these fandoms.
1: Oh my gosh, wait, who... That's the question, is who has the crazier fans? I venture to say John, but I think that's because I'm a little closer to it. Is that true?
2: No, I think it's John because, one, your husband doesn't believe in social media, doesn't do social media. It's not his thing. So now you have a vocal fan base speaking on behalf of the man that does not give a shit that you're speaking on his behalf. So... If, if we're talking about who wants to, who where are we ranking our Shield guys, then you, th- th- it's not even, like, they don't care. They're
1: all doing just fine, yes. They're not out there comparing notes of who's having the better
2: year. But the fans are doing that, and you know what, there's really some interesting takes on, that. like, I was I reading some of them where there is. Where they were saying, at first, when Roman came out and won the Universal Championship and started the Tribal Chief thing, it was great. Then it started to wean a little bit. Maybe it's going to pick back up again. Booking him as double champ kind of hurt that. Then you had Seth, who's been coming, really came into his own after the Monday Night Messiah with this whole Seth freaking Rollins thing. Really started to change with the outfits and just being a heel, but being such a utility guy that he will give anybody a five-star match. And then you got John, who might be the blue-collar workhorse of the entire trio, left Made his own bones. People questioned, could he do it? Is he going to do it? Where is he going to go? What's this AEW thing? New Japan Pro Wrestling? I don't know if he could fit in over there. And then he dominates. And then kind of without John, to take it back to what he said on the podcast that we had him on like two months ago, he's the reason The Forbidden Door exists. You don't get all these things without the three of these guys doing their thing. So to compare and contrast to say who's the best, you can't say that. You could say who's the best at this specific thing, but not at the whole thing. And I think all of them can hang their hats on how good they are.
1: I mean, listen, it's always a a fun conversation either way. I mean, there are so many different stones you could turn over analyzing, which each three of them have been able to do. And it's crazy, too, to think for each of them, they're all, like, in their mid-30s, which I always say is that sweet spot. They're not, like, they've got so much more ahead of them as well as to like, what else is going to happen? Like, how do they continue to evolve? How do they tap into that Chris Jericho thing of like, how do we evolve? How do I stay relevant? How do I find what that next thing is? Uh, I think that's like a really interesting testament to, to like the creative aspect. Also, you know, what they put their bodies through.
2: Absolutely, and I think when it's all said and done, you can really have an interesting case study on them that they could be the greatest faction of all time, just yeah. because they're I'm individual. So I would hope so, but uh, they're, they're, that their their solo careers are so rich and so deep. And and they don't connect anymore. They don't usually when the
1: boy bands break up. Only one of them is successful. So it's
2: right. So who's the you want to know who's the Harry Styles? Harry. Who is Harry? Who is Harry Styles? Who's Harry?
1: Who's Justin?
2: Why don't you let us know? Why don't you? You could tweet (laughs) at Renee. You could tweet me. Let us know who is the Harry Styles.
1: Only tweet me if I'm going to like your answer, though. Otherwise, I don't want to hear shit. I'll take the rest of your bullshit (laughs) and read it. All right. Uh, uh, This has been a fun chat. I'm glad that we wrapped it up with a little wrestling because I was just going to continue talking about Elvis and J.D. Salinger. I'm not mad
2: at that, though. (laughs) I'm not mad.
1: Well, I'm going to go pop in my Invisalign and I might go watch Romeo and Juliet. I feel very inspired to go put that put that on or I'll go read my Colleen Hoover book. and see what happens I, I don't know where I put it so I gotta track it down
2: sounds like you got a wild night ahead of you honey <laughs> I do <laughs> all
1: right guys this has been the sessions thanks for hanging out with us uh, coming up uh, later in the week we are gonna be joined by grandpa ass <laughs> <Billy Gun. laughs>
2: yeah check back on the for, on the YouTube for all of that stuff we got some really cool stuff out there right now yeah. we have all our Nashville content is up there so if you want to see interviews with Miro and CJ Perry and Soraya you can Go off and do that. You want to see Renee's hot chicken vlog and buying cowboy boots and cowboy hats with Lita. Go check that out. We have some interesting stuff with Joey Janella up there. We have a whole bunch of stuff.
1: Who's not a scumbag, by the way. He just kind of dresses like one, which I Sometimes admire. Sometimes scumbag chic. I got one other thing to say before we wrap this up, talking about things on YouTube. You know what I bought the other day is uh, I, I'm a sucker for Instagram ads. So it's this thing called Pivo, I think. And it's this little motion tracker um, device that I can plug my phone into so I can do more cooking content without needing a cameraman.
2: Game changer. It's
1: going to track me while I'm in the kitchen.
2: Game changer, guys.
1: So I ordered it. I got it yesterday. And I opened it and was like, you know, it's like scan the QR code to download the app to get it set up. And their app actually is not up and running. I fall for the Instagram ad. So hopefully I can figure it out and get it working without the app. Uh, But either way, guys, the future is looking friendly.
2: There you go. It's looking delicious. Or dare I say, messy in the kitchen.
1: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for hanging out with us, guys. Uh, Hopefully you enjoyed the week. Enjoyed the best of the sessions. You guys can hear the full length interviews, um, anywhere that you listen to podcasts, just, uh, download them, give them a listen, give them a like a review. And if you want to see what you're hearing, head on over to my YouTube page, just search Renee Paquette. It's all up there and you can see us talking, having this interview, having a hangout. It's all up on there. Um, and that's been like a really great, cool growing community. So, I'm uh, really enjoying the hangouts on the YouTube as well. So we can see you guys over there and jump in the comment section, you know, jump in, chime in, leave a comment. Uh, we like filtering through them all, reading about them, maybe even like, I don't know, some constructive criticism. If you had it, we're all ears. God, did I open up a can of worms by saying that? I don't know. Be nice. Be cool in there. This has been the sessions.